15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. And welcome to the First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto webinars. This is a place where we engage the hearts and minds of academics, artists, authors, and community leaders. My name is Bruce Reyes-Chow, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. Uh, the webinar will be recorded, shared on our YouTube channel and IGTV, and posted as part of my podcast, BRC and Friends. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Shonda Rani Ja, the founder and executive director of the Oakland Peace Center. She's the author of multiple books, including Pre-Post-Racial America, Spiritual Stories from the Front Lines, and most recently, uh, Liberating Love Daily Devotional, uh, 365 Love Notes from God, and uh, all-around uh, wonderful human being. Uh, so uh, welcome uh, to our webcast, Shonda. Good to have you. Such a gift to be with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, right. Well, so what, let's just start. Uh, just why don't you just tell us about yourself? I, you know, I give the kind of the official intro and all the fancy stuff. But t- what what's important for us to know about you? Who is Shonda? <laughs> so I think one of the things that people find odd and interesting about me is my career devolution. Right. My first job out of college was working for a member of Congress. My next job was working for a national religious liberties organization doing lobbying. My next job was working on the staff of the regional ministry for the Christian Church of Northern California, Nevada. That's like uh, our equivalent of a presbytery. So I guess the fancy term would be um, associate bishop or um, associate conference minister, whatever Mm -hmm. terminology you want to use for it. We call them regional ministers. And then I worked for a smaller regional housing justice organization and then pastored First Christian Church of Oakland, a congregation in a 40,000 square foot building with 10 people in worship on an average Sunday. Uh, So people talk a lot about my career devolution and the work I do (laughs) is mostly grounded in, in Oakland and even more so in a very obscure but fabulous neighborhood, sometimes called the Harry Oak neighborhood because Harrison and Oakland Avenues are uh, the nearest streets to us. I've never heard that. No, nobody knows the name. Nobody nobody who lives in Oakland (laughs) knows the name unless you live in the neighborhood. (laughs) And they're like, that's just fine. And, (laughs) And really, if you really want people to know where you are, you're like, you know where the grocery outlet is and everyone's like oh yeah and you're like up the hill from there that's us yeah all right that's awesome so uh uh, for those that are coming in from other denominations and people listening to this what what denomination are 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 you yes do you come out of so i'm part of a small denomination called the christian church disciples of christ first denomination founded on american soil we beat the uh Uh, We beat the Latter-day Saints by a few years. Uh, And interestingly enough, we are kind of a byproduct of the Presbyterian Church. So uh, our founders were part of the Presbyterian Church, and 
uh, inspired by the, what do you call it? Inspired by the, um, the tent revival meetings. Uh, they decided to build out a movement that was intended to be for all Christians with no barriers. Hmm. Um, and so now we're at about, I don't know, 700,000 in membership mm -hmm. across the country. So it didn't end up being a movement for all Christians after all. But we're, <laughs> we're very well intentioned. You know, it's interesting. I've had two Disciples of Christ interns in my life which is always funny because of hearing about the process and, and how different the disciples of Christ folks are like in California versus Texas. For, yeah. I mean, that just how, I mean, we're, we're different. It obviously regionally as Presbyterians, but not to the extreme. I was like, Whoa, like that's the same. Like, yep. That's we're all kind of in that. Well, that, that that's great. And so are you originally from California, Northern California? Or are, the, are your roots here? Or where, uh, where did you grow Britain. up and all that? Uh, oh, so I did not know father, that. My father uh, was from a small village in India. My mother is from a tiny island in Scotland. Um, I was born in England, and we came to the States when I was uh, a toddler. So I grew up mostly in Akron, Ohio, a little bit in Chicago, and have only been in Oakland for 15 years. Okay. Are you still seeing in Oakland? Are you with everything that the way Oakland has changed so much yeah. over, like, are you now in this, like, some people see you as, oh, you've been here a long time and others, are you still new? I mean, where, where do you fit in kind of the, the Oakland vibe right now? So this is the interesting thing is when I first got there, nobody cared about the fact that I hadn't been there very long because the fact that I was choosing Oakland was a big deal, right? right? right. Um, and the fact that I was showing up with people in the community and about 10 years into my time was when people started saying, oh, people aren't real Oaklanders unless they remember this restaurant. Uh, people oh. aren't real Oaklanders unless they remember when this neighborhood used to look like this. Uh, unless you remember that skate rink on East 14th. Unless you still call it East 14th instead of International. international. Uh, so right. I think because a community was under threat, right? And so yeah. Yeah. I've been there long enough that the folks I've been organizing with for 15 years forget that I'm not from there. But if you were to ask them, how long does someone need to have to have lived here to be a real Oaklander? It would be at least 25 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it is fascinating. Leaving San Francisco and coming to Palo Alto, I mean, it's it's somewhat similar, right? It, I mean, it's it's yeah. been a great experience for the most part, but there is sometimes this, this like, you know, you're not really from here yet. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, whatever. It's going to, we'll figure all that out. But every area seems to have their oh, kind totally. of, you know, depending on what's pressure, what pressures they're feeling good or bad. And I think one of the things that I think is really important to think about in relationship to that, I referred to myself as an Oaklander. And one of my indigenous uh, cousins said, we're not Oaklanders. And what she, what she meant by that was we don't get to claim ourselves to belong to this indigenous land of hmm. what is actually Huichin in right. the Ohlone community. Um, and she was like, even, even if we had been here a couple generations, this isn't, yeah. this isn't our land, we're guests. And that was right. what she was trying to convey. She wasn't saying we shouldn't be here. She was right. just saying we need to comport ourselves as guests. 
Right. And I think there's some something honorable to thinking oh, of yeah. it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We've been starting to have a few of those conversations. And I think those conversations are difficult for churches yeah. like the one I'm serving, right? Who are fairly established, very just social justice minded. Yep. Because you start having those conversations and then you know, I mean, they're leading towards like, so, okay, so we acknowledge these pieces, we acknowledge stolen land, we acknowledge all this. What is that going to mean? What does that mean for us? For us. I mean, and uh, if you're really going to engage that conversation, it's one thing to, you know, set context at the beginning of a worship or do those, I mean, which are all great, but then it's like, if you really start diving deep, it's like, oh, okay, if we're not really from here and how we have become from here is because we've stolen the land and the land was taken from someone else and we believe that's wrong yep what does it mean and it mixed in with that is we have stories of ancestors who fled here or we have ancestors who were kidnapped and forced to be Mm -hmm. here um that that adds even more layers so we've all got And you know, the interesting thing that I never hear anybody ask when we get to that point of, ah, but what does that mean for me? Nobody says, how would we go about sitting down with our indigenous family to talk this through? Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone Mm -hmm. suggest that as, oh, we better talk with the people whose land this actually is so we can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's just so funny. Like, this was not the this was not the planned topic stream we were going to go down. But you know, there we go. But I mean, this is great. This is why we have some good time together. But no, I think that that is important. As we were doing a little research, as we uh, we just re- we've read a couple of books that I think have moved people to to think about this. And where our our climate change group is looking at what's happening on some sacred land in Santa Clara County, and it's like, so who who are our partners when communities have also just been decimated and and who are we supposed to say and who's i mean and 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 also like knowing that no community is a monolith in itself and especially today right i mean so i i was like okay we gotta make sure like do we talk to a bunch of people who do we talk i mean it's just so complex Mm -hmm. and a lot of work and that's probably why most of our churches don't do it i mean i think just there's so much to do. Well, let me steer us back to just, I do want to talk about you more because uh, that's why we have you. Uh, so tell us a little, tell us a little bit about the Oakland Peace Center. I actually don't know a lot about it other than you founded it and run it. And I'm, you know, I was in San Francisco for 30 years. So that's kind of where I was doing my work. Yep. But so tell us a little bit about Oakland Peace Center. How did it start? What's your, you know, what do you do? Like, yeah, tell us about it. Absolutely. Um, so like I said, I came out here 15 years ago, and I was pastoring, and that was not my only job, but I was pastoring First Christian Church of Oakland. Congregation that, I, when I started there, was about 20 people, so 10 in worship on an average Sunday. Uh, lots and lots of room to stretch out in that sanctuary that was built for 600 people, um, wow. although it got chilly because the heat had stopped working 10 years prior. Um and it was a point where in, in our denomination and in your denomination and in many mainline churches, there were lots of conversations about congregational, we called it congregational transformation because we believed that was the biblical framework. Right. Uh, the UCC was con- calling it congregational vitality because they didn't need a biblical framework. Um, there were all sorts of, that's our, a little joke, I love my UCC family. 
Ours was ours was redevelopment because we we love catchy names. That's so Presbyterian. <laughs> I love it. So... Of course, it was redevelopment. This is what we're doing. <laughs> there is a plan. It will be in good order. Just follow the exactly. steps. Exactly. 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 <laughs> you know us well. Ours is very romantic, and like we aspire to it being biblical, but that means there's no accountability or no structure. Because when you're accountable right. to people from two thousand years ago. What are they going to do if you just make stuff up? <laughs> no. Um, Where do I send my report? <laughs> so in the midst of this congregational transformation movement, the assumption was every church wanted to live and grow, right? I've d- I did a lot of that work for my denomination, and I'm not sure that's always true. Yeah. And so we had some sideways conversations where we got to the place of saying, we're not sure we have the energy to turn this into a 5,000 member church, but we have some things we care about. And this was a congregation that was what some people would call the faithful remnant. These were the folks who stayed. They stayed with the church, but they also stayed in Oakland. Mm. When white flight and the crack epidemic and the rise in violence drove away most of the white folks, And this congregation actually launched a church in Lafayette, which was a wealthy white congregation, and a church in San Lorenzo, which was a working class white congregation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the congregation that I got to join was a predominantly black church, Um, but folks who had been in that congregation for over a generation, two generations usually, who had stayed in Oakland, and so when we had the conversation about what is it we want to contribute to this community that is the best of what we have to offer, the answer was peace in the midst of violence. Hmm. And we didn't have the energy to create new programs. We didn't have right. the people power to do anything like that. We didn't really have the vision for it, but we had the willingness to reach out to the folks already doing it. The folks who were interrupting violence in the streets, the folks who were doing youth empowerment programs. And we showed up and for three years, we kept showing up and saying, what do you need? And these nonprofits that weren't used to churches being invested in their work were like, huh. And they tested us. They were like, can you hang up flyers for the silence the violence event? Can you promote uh, the baseball game where the proceeds go to youth empowerment programs? Can you table at this event for us? Can you work at the Turf Unity Conference so that we make sure no one brings weapons in? And over and over we said yes, and over and over we showed up. And at the time, more and more young people were actually joining the church because it was a church that was connected with the community. And about three years in, we realized we don't necessarily have any more energy, but we have all this space and space is at a premium. And so we gathered together about 10 nonprofits doing a variety of anti-violence work and said, we're thinking about turning this building into a hub so that y'all could have cheap rent and actually have connections with each other and could support each other and reduce burnout, which is very real in the work that we do. How does that sound? What would that look like? How would that help you? And that was how the Oakland Peace Center was born. Uh, now awesome. we've got 40 nonprofits, 12 of which have office space in the building. 
uh, and lots and lots of community events that go on in that space. We think around 100,000 people a year get served by our partners, uh, wow. in part because we're providing space that, uh, that allows them to do the programming they're doing. But also, they're in the jails and prisons, they're in the schools, they're in the cancer wards. Right. Well. And so, so do you offer, is it kind of, you know, like, like that shared workspace kind of model, you you provide some overarching support we, and. So we turned all of the old church class, Sunday school classrooms into office spaces. So it's not so much a shared workspace because any of the large spaces we keep for community events. Right. But one of the things that we try to do is bring the partners together with each other, try to provide kind of collective resourcing. We've got some big right. plans for next year where the partners are actually gonna be leading programs hmm. around things that nonprofits need support with. We're doing a series on anti-capitalist fundraising. We're- Oh yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's right. So um, uh, I, this is total sidebar is, you know, oh, uh, First Press Oakland has a new pastor now. It does. I do, yeah, I don't know if you know Matt. So um, I loved Deb. I love Matt. That congregation keeps lucking out. Yeah, I, that's for another webinar. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic. Uh, yes. Yeah, Matt yeah. and I rolled deep. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I did a lot yeah, with yeah. He, and I fell in love with Ignacio uh, Presbyterian Church, Ignacio yeah. Valley Presbyterian, when I was. Because Matt would bring me in to preach for him a lot when he was away. Yeah. Yeah. Those who are watching this, a little insider. I mean, Matt Prince is one of these uh, just a stellar human being and is thinks yeah. thinks and feels so deeply and is so committed. And and now it's funny because I remember when Matt went to that church and he was at, uh, he was a pastor that was serving Ignacio Valley Presbyterian Church in Concord. Yeah. And uh, I remember he didn't want to go. Like, that was not what he was going to, I Concord, I want to go to Concord. I want to be in Oakland. Like, right. I want to be doing this work. And he managed to do both things. And now there's this yeah. convergence. And I am praying for that person so greatly because First Presbyterian Church of Oakland has had a, has, a, has had a story history. There we go. Uh, and and we'll just leave it at that. Beautiful physical plant. That's oh yeah. Three blocks away from the Oakland Peace Center. Yeah, and I know has intellectually wanted to do what you're doing, and I know that there's been. Anyway, we won't talk about. It. Let's, let's we'll move on. So, um, you have a new book out, which I think is awesome. So you are, uh, we are uh, uh, authors within the same publishing house. So shout out to Chalice Press. Uh, uh, Shonda has a couple of books. Do you have two there or do you have more than you have four of them? Four there. So, uh, <laughs> Shonda has four books there. Uh, I have my first one with them coming out. You are. <laughs> I have my first one coming out in March, uh, about that. So we, uh, we can talk about that later, but, um, so your most recent one though, uh, is this liberating love, this daily devotional, 365 love notes from God. Tell us how that came about. I mean, what, yeah, and I uh, for just for the record, I I uh, did one of those devotionals. It's on YouTube, and you can see that. And I read it and reflected. But how did that book come come about? So I was picking up a very very popular devotional that a friend had given to me, and I was getting ready to take it in and put it on the giveaway table at the Oakland Peace Center. And as I was picking it up, I found myself thinking, I wish there were a version of this devotional for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. 
I wish there were a version of this devotional that didn't just do the me and Jesus, but helped us connect with each other, helped us connect with our spiritual ancestors, gave us the encouragement to be out in the world transforming it. And I heard of, this is going to sound super evangelical, uh, I heard okay. a voice saying, um, yeah, you're supposed to do that. Uh, I and hate I that voice. By myself, and <laughs> you know what they say about people who hear voices, but here I am. So, I know. yeah. So that I, was the I origin have, story. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so, uh, yeah, I hate I hate that. Like, I have probably three or four books that I want to write, and I have to decide: is it like I had this great idea the other day, and I'm like, oh, this is a bad sign because I could see myself sitting down and writing a proposal right now. Yep. Like I, I don't I don't have anything in the works right now and da, da, da. I'm like oh no don't do it Bruce don't do it. I don't know so I I wrote it down like I've been I've been training myself to do is to write things down put I transfer I put it in my online kind of incubator yeah. folder and then I shall return to it but it is amazing how the muse somehow speaks in such strange strange yeah. ways so how did you go about deciding uh what you were going to do and how were you here you're going to address things and you know uh you, you know like yeah how did you decide what those 365 love notes were so, going? that's a lot of that's a lot of love notes it's actually 366 my mother called me to point that out to me uh, <laughs> she's like your your title is a lie my mother's a lot that's, like your mother <laughs> that is awesome your title is a lie sorry <laughs> and I was like interestingly enough originally it was going to say 366 and the publishers were like it's like that's weird that's gonna be weird for anybody yeah. who sees it yeah so it's probably true um so one of the things that I thought was really important is a lot of the devotionals that I have come across lean very heavily on the gospels and the psalms that's about all you get and I really do think we miss out on an opportunity to realize how much in love with us God is in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. And so this is super nerdy. And a lot of people can't, unless you read the preface, you don't necessarily see the pattern immediately. January 1st is from Genesis, first book of the Hebrew Bible. January 2nd is from Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Uh -huh. January 3rd is from Exodus, second book of the Hebrew Bible. January 4th is from Mark, the second book of the New Testament. So I go back and forth uh, that way, which means there are four to six passages from almost every book in the Bible. It got really hard once you got to books like Titus that are like one page long. Uh, one of them is super anti-Jewish and I just oh, couldn't yeah. find enough non-anti-Jewish stuff in it. So it only got a few lines, but for the most part, um, I stuck to the formula. And you might've gotten a couple more James passages than you should have because James is the most underestimated book in the Bible. It's my favorite oh, book. Okay. Why, why is it the most underestimated and why is it your favorite? Probably for the same reason, it's too Jewish. Hmm. It nearly got cut from the canon because the early church was like, it's too Jewish, it's gotta go. And, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, Origen, uh, one of the mm -hmm. saints of the early church was like, no, 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 you can't get rid of it. It was written by 
It was written by the brother of Jesus. Yeah. James, you've heard of James. He was the brother of Jesus. That's the guy who wrote this. You can't get rid of it. Um, not necessarily true at all, but it preserved. He also fought to keep Revelation in because the early huh. church wanted to get rid of Revelation because it was too anti-Roman Empire. And they were like, right. the Roman Empire is trying to kill us. We've got to get rid of this. And Origen, similarly, right. he's like, no, no, it's not about Rome. It's just a spiritual <laughs> metaphor because he right. knew that we were going to need an anti-empire toolkit for thousands of years to come. So I feel like that dude had some problematic behaviors, but he preserved sure. two of the most important and most underappreciated books in the Bible. Well, there you go. You all didn't know you were also going to get a church history and <laughs> biblical uh, uh, exegeting of our canon. I, I, the nerds are the best people in the world. Actually, yes, I'm gonna I will nerd out for just a little bit because I rarely nerd out. Is that yesterday, last night, I was reading some Gnostics and reading my favorite, which was the Thunder, the Perfect Mind, which is uh, you know my ultimate um, re reading that should be uh, in our canon. And uh, next year, we're actually welcoming a. Uh, 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 Hal Tossig, I don't know if you're Hal Tossig, but he he helped to put together the new New Testament. He's going to come and talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. That, and so I were I remember reading. You know, uh, I think I can't read. Uh, I wasn't going to read my Coptic and all those kind of things, but I got to kind of go through that. And so yesterday I was reading through um, my Gnostic some readings again. I was like, huh, look at me being all being all fancy. Um, yeah, but no, I, I I think it's great. I mean, I just, I feel, I, I same with you, uh, you know, how do we get language, prayers, devotionals, pieces out there? And I think this is a time right now that there's some really, there's some deep yearning for yeah. things that are, you know, and, and again, nothing about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I think it's great. Oh, absolutely. Can't be, yeah, can't be absent of this communal depth, right? So but I think you're right. We've never really dived into that from voices and experiences that are going to be so meaningful. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's great. So everybody run out and get it. It's uh, the link is probably in your chat already. Oh, yeah, it it's is. a great gift, cr Christmas gifts, you know, all those kind of things. It is. They can yeah. start January one, apparently, and figure out if they can figure out the code. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, so, um, I've only had I had did one 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 uh, webinar post election with somebody who was traveling traveled across the country first time she did it on a on a Vespa and and just stopped at diners and places and just sat down and said hey let's talk about politics fascinating uh, and now as she said I'm getting can't really quite do that anymore but still does it and did it this time um, and so I got to talk with her a little bit about post election things but. Um, I'm just what what do you think's going on post election? What's your uh, I, I know you have thoughts. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways we could go down, right? I mean, I think there's the okay. I'm excited, but I'm not. I'm excited that the election went the way it did. I'm not thrilled with Biden and Harris. Generally speaking, in a vacuum. They were not my initial choices, but I'm not going to play this false equalization that they're as horrible right. as Trump is, right? I mean, I, I think that piece is ridiculous when people say, well, they're yep. just the same as Mike. Ah. 
So, I mean, there's that. I mean, there's like, what do we do now? How do we, like you had mentioned, how do we stop what's happening in these next few weeks and months that seems, I haven't tuned into the news today. It just feels like every day, it's shockingly so we can still be shocked. Like, it just feels like, how can I still be surprised that stuff is happening? Like, this makes no sense. So what are you thinking about these days about the election and this and our current state of 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 the presidency, what are what are the things that are at the top of your mind? So I think two things are really important to remember, um, and I say this kind of shifting into a community organizer mm-hmm. here. Um, Seventy days is a long time. All around the world, poverty is stealing choices from kids. It's time to give those choices back. Introducing Chosen, World Vision's new invitation to sponsorship. For the first time, kids have the power to choose their own sponsors. Now the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future. And even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Learn more at worldvision.org slash chosen. When you have a problem, Fox 12 gets you answers. The violence continues. When crime hits too close to home, we want to make sure your voice is heard. We're listening and ready to confront your problems head on. How can Fox 12 help you? Tell us at kptv.com. And we've seen that because within the past week, people have been fired from the EPA. People who were trying to keep this administration in check from the military standpoint um, have been replaced with Mm -hmm. uh, people who are more loyal to the current administration, 70 days is a long time. Uh, And so the notion of being vigilant, I think is really, really important. Um, The other thing is, and this is as a faith rooted organizer, I think it's important for us to remember, and I'm going to So one of my mentors is the Reverend Phil Lawson. He's the younger brother of James Lawson, the legendary uh, civil rights leader and pastor. Um, And Phil and I used to work together on a lot of housing justice work. And when we won a big victory, he would say, congratulations, celebrate, but this wasn't the end goal. Right. Housing everybody wasn't even the end goal. The end goal is beloved community. Uh, And when we lost, he would say that hurt. It's okay to grieve. But remember that this particular piece of legislation wasn't the end goal. The end goal is beloved community. And my anxiety is we have been in such a space of low grade trauma for Mm -hmm. four years that we're not going to remember that we actually need to be in a place of building power. Now, I think we build relationships to build power, but ultimately our work really does need to be about building power and building power towards the end of beloved community, a place where everyone's needs are met, everyone's gifts are honored. And there's a lot of ways to get at it, but definitely this was not the end point. Right. Right. So I think well, it's interesting. Ahead of us, right? Let me let me ask you about that. I mean, I I think this idea about power, totally agree. And but with so many different versions of what that could look like. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's the there's the centrist power. If we don't, if everybody doesn't kind of come come behind and alongside of a a core message and not critique it, 
Like that's how we build power. And there's others like, no, 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 wait. There's other voices that are yeah. are pushing on these institutions to like we we're this is not the end. Yeah. So how do you how do you deal with this? I because I actually think having you know the Democrats, we'll just stay with them, right? This idea that we're that we are there's this internal strife in that article that uh, AOC has has yeah. has has called the truce off as if there was this major, and I'm like, this is great. We actually should be in a movement that's able to critique itself. And if we're not, I don't want to be part of it. Yeah. And, and and so, but you get certainly folks are like the reason that certain parts of our political system is everybody's in line and everybody's loyal. Yeah. So how do, how do we talk about power differently when we all see it differently, especially in a, in a, you know, a general ilk of a more progressive kind of thinking. How do you talk about with the, that with your folks? I mean, when, I'm sure yeah, this I, is a question. I never worry about it with my folks because for the most part, we're largely poor people of color. Um, and so it's not as hard a conversation. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean yeah. there, there's there's no monolithic community. Right? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't mean to uh, suggest that it's that uncomplicated, but um so we were reading the Oakland Peace Center staff. Forgive me for tipping my computer. The no. Oakland Peace Center staff oh, yeah. is doing a book study together. Oh, <laughs> oh I, was, I, I had So I switched my book up here every week and I had that up a couple of weeks That's ago. That's adorable. I thought <laughs> I was like, oh. my book's up there this week. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you did help me write my second book for Chalice, by the way. I hope that you get credit for that sometimes. Free post racial. Um, oh, Gosh, I'm pretty that sure seems I so long that ago. Preface. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Anyhow, so we've been reading March and we just read together today the section where John Lewis has uh, been involved in the student movement and uh, Thurgood Marshall comes in and he's like, slow your roll, y'all. You've gotten as much <laughs> as you can get. Chill the, out. Uh, and, right. uh, and John Lewis actually said, he's like, Thurgood Marshall was a good man. But I realized then how badly we needed a radical movement, right? Mm. And, so, and he's like, and that our movement was to call traditional Black institutions to account, as well as white institutions. Right. Um, and so we were talking about that AOC debate, right? Where one side is saying, you almost cost us the election. Right. And our side is saying, the only reason you won is in the places where we pushed a much more powerful agenda, because the reality is um, the conservative base picked up some people of color this time oh, yeah. around. And that is what everyone's obsessing over because lower income people of color do not feel well represented by the Democratic Party. And they're not wrong to not yeah. feel represented by the Democratic Party. So we've got a couple of options. The Republicans might figure out how not to be white supremacists, and then it's all over. I'm not worried about that, but it's possible. <laughs> right. Um, but we have this opportunity to say, what are we doing that is good for all Americans? And I kind of feel like the Poor People's Campaign has done more beautiful work around mm-hmm. recognizing we can talk about race and we can talk about class. And that can actually be a unifying strategy because we're all being harmed and we actually have the wisdom to create a transformative process. We're just not getting listened to all that well. So for me, there is actually a compelling way to do this. 
that has been demonstrated over and over. Weirdly enough, the Green New Deal tracks well across political parties, across races, and across uh, urban and rural communities. Sometimes they don't yeah. like the messenger, but the message itself right. is compelling. So right. to yeah. me, that's the work ahead. Yeah, I'm going to be, I'm really intrigued by what the cabinet's going to look look like. Uh-huh. I think it is going to be, I mean, that is the signals, even if they push folks who, depending on what happens with the Senate, even if they push folks that maybe have no way of getting through, again, we're waiting, whatever happens with the Senate. But I think yeah. who they choose in these first rounds yep. will be a huge signal, signal. to how seriously mm-hmm. we're going to take this. Yep. And like, we're going to, we're going to push for somebody for a for a you know native american person on the cabinet for the first even if you know that person may not be able to get through but we're gonna i mean i think there's an interesting opportunity here not to fall back into this kind of centrist mindset well we we wanted we want we 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 believe that if we do this broad thing well it'll be an easier road which i just always don't think is true right and what does that signal to those who really did win this for you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it is going to be fascinating to see how that all goes uh, uh, for sure. Worth acknowledging that the local work really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, Oakland city council is the most progressive that I think it's been ever. Mm. And that's the result of 10 yeah. years of intentional organizing that has yielded those results. Both the city council and the Oakland Unified School Board took on millions of, the school board took on millions of dollars poured into that race uh, against the current winning candidates by um, Bloomberg, right? Because he's very pro-charter and don't get me wrong, charter's complicated, uh, but they have decimated Oakland's school district. Um, And so to pay attention to the local is what yields us those results um, at the national down the road. And yeah, I, if you're unhappy yeah. with the two-party system, there are folks working to get the Working Families Party established here so that we have hmm. some viable options four or eight years down the road. So right. if you're unhappy with the two-party system, now's the moment, not in three years and 11 months, now's the moment to start paying attention to what alternatives are out there. Yeah. I tell you, I am, I am in a, uh, and I'll, I'll be somewhat politic. I'm in a different land now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things that, that we did as a church is we, uh, I interviewed nine of the 10 city council candidates, yeah. which was really quite fun. Got, it, was, it was a good way for me to get to know people and all of that. And, you know, as, as, as we were getting our ballots ready and all those kind of things, our family sat down and did our own little, Yes. Uh, voter pamphlet and um, uh, none of our city council people got elected. <laughs> Not a one. We're like, okay, we could. Yeah, you did. I'm like, okay, okay. It was like, oh man, we just. It's like good reminder. It's cool. Everybody, you know. And again, it's this like left and lefter and lefter. And I can I mean, sure. it is all this spectrum, but still, we're like. All right, there we are. And and city count, uh, school board, two of our three, and our third person didn't. I don't think she got on. She was very tight for the third, fourth, and that's Katie yeah. Kazi, who I'll be who'll be on the webinar next week. Uh, so Katie is uh, is going to come on. So um, yeah, because I I love the the fact that um, 
I arrived to Palo Alto a year and a half ago. And I just feel like, how did you get all of these candidates to say yes? And I'm like, I asked. Yeah. Right. And and our it's still such a small town here in many ways, Palaches, that they're like, sure, I'll come on and spend an hour with you. I mean, yeah. that I know that would have not happened in San Francisco without deep relationships and invitations and like this is a politically wise thing, and probably not Oakland without the same kind of like somebody would have to say yes beyond this but i was like all right so there's actually possibility here yeah. to be engaged that it would take years to build in some other places so yes. I, that was the exciting part about it for yes. me uh even though uh none of our lawn signs came came out with the w for this <laughs> not, not a one building power starts it starts That's right. with, oh we have no power uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take that. You know, that was sad. It was grieving. Okay, but now we got to move. That was that's good for for my own. Uh, we did we and we went about. We even on our proposition stuff. We were, we did not have a winning percentage either on those two. So you know, that's not much different than statewide things for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so fifteen yet. and sixteen. Yeah. And twenty two, and twenty two. Now you're just now. Oh, and and uh, and uh, just for the record, the the church itself is not endorsing any particular stance. But we, as individuals who are part of our particular spaces of faith, are. So um, there you go. That's great. I can call it education before the election. I can't call it that now. You're right. <laughs> People are always like, aren't you going to risk talking? I'm like, no, it'll be fine. I pro- if they're going after me, uh, they've gone after a ton of other people. Like, if they're coming after me, we're in a whole heck of a lot more trouble than, uh, you know, I'm, I'm again, F-level, E-level kind of person out there. So it's all good. Um, so what are you working on now? you have any projects on it? Like, where's your creativity going? And I mean, you're working on preventing a coup, I know, in your particular space and how we're, and thank you. And I got uh, say, work around that has been beautiful. The number of faith hmm. communities that are like, oh, we need to live our values right now. And yeah. a lot of them are kind of like, we're on standby. We have no idea what to do. We don't know what's happening but you can call us and that's been mm. beautiful. Mm. So yeah, uh, because the next 70 days matter and we have, we really don't know oh. what's going to happen. So what, so tell me this is, I think, you know, our folks uh, to first press are, I, I think they they've often been called the social justice church and some of yeah. that's respect. And other times I think it's people just being snotty. Um <laughs> And I, I, the reason I came here was because we could dive into these things. Like we have, there's no delusions of we're purple. Like we're, that's just not, there are other churches in, our, in Palo Alto that are more centrist and all that, which is fine. Um, uh, our folks, you know, this election season was tough on many of our people who would travel during election season and be working on campaigns and door knocking yeah. and all those kinds of things. And they yeah. found different ways of engaging. Yeah. So, uh, what are you? And how are thank you, you to churches? all of you who did. You made such a difference. Yeah, I mean the number of letters and text banking and yep. phone call. I mean, just just was amazing. And yep. so I'm so glad to be connected to a community like this. But I I think many of us are feeling okay now. This happened, and 
what can we actually do? I mean, I know folks are continuing to reinforce with our, our, our representatives and some, and going to events and actions yeah. and trying to be visible, yeah. but what are, are there, are there things that we could be doing during this 70 days? Mm-hmm. Like what, what would, what would be a few things that you might say, Hey, here are some other things you may want to think about. I'm, I, Cause I don't, yeah. I have no idea. I'm following people that I trust to yeah. tell me what to do. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, the Oakland Peace Center is doing the same thing. The way, yeah. Back in uh, early 2017, a number of unions and nonprofits and community organizations said, we can't all track everything that's coming down the road. And they formed an organization called Bay Resistance. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, sure. And I honestly encourage everybody to sign up for their text messaging system because, and honestly, eight times out of 10, I get a message from them and they they don't come all that often, but eight times out of 10, I can't suddenly spring to action the way they ask me to. Right. But I know what's going on. I'm more aware of the actions that are going on. And sometimes I can plug in. It's a really simple way is, Go to, I think it's bayresistance.org. Yeah, it is. Um, and sign up for their text messaging system so that if there's an action you can participate in, they'll also let you know if they're trying to do um, an email campaign to Congress or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. It's a really simple starting place. And Bay Resistance is actually how the Oakland Peace Center is staying connected to actions in the street and uh, cultivating actions from home. We do have an interfaith branch that is an interfaith network that is emerging, that is beginning. We just did a nonviolent direct action training, the Reverend Deb Lee and I did it together uh, last week. And part two is coming up this week uh, on Thursday so that people who want to figure out strategies for actions from home can develop those those skills. And then next they're going to be doing uh, a follow-up that's specifically for people who want to be engaged in actions in the street, how to do that well, how to do it safely. Um, so we're building the, te- the community that's going to be carrying out those actions, often in partnership with Bay Resistance, because right. they've got the people yeah. who are paying attention for us. It's actually, De- Deborah is going to be uh, at our worship service this Sunday. <laughs> so my, okay. my, wife, my, my wife and Deb were college roommates. It is a small world. I it love is a, that so, so much. So, so like so, and I and it's always hard because it's Deborah now, and I I knew her as Debbie, and so I'm like I'm always like okay, we both have stories about each other. Let's just yep. have a common understanding we don't that we're not sharing those anywhere we go. <laughs> but she's one of those people that if 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 she says, Bruce, you need to be here. I will, I don't care what it is. I don't, I'm like, okay. I mean, you're one of those people for me too. If you were to tell me you need to show up here, have your collar on and you're going to be arrested and I I will be there. And this is a church that, uh, one of the awesome things about this church is I have a discretionary fund, which a lot of churches have, but mine is specifically for helping folks and for activism. I love that. Yeah. This is. This is so that you can, on our behalf, yeah, go go to the street. I'm like, uh, okay, right? So, 
but you know, I mean, I so I think that this is great. I mean, I think uh, you know, in our, our in our area, we also are working with the uh, multi faith voices for peace and justice, which is yes. an awesome organization out here, yes. and um, are, are partnering. I, I love watching all the collaborative things that are happening right now, uh, not just out of necessity, but just out of this is what we've always said we should be doing. Yep. It makes sense. Protect the results is the lead on these things. So we should all yep. just share their stuff. We don't have to be the lead organization. I mean, I think that stuff is yeah. just wonderful. All right. We're getting, we're running out of time. We, oh you gosh. and I are just chit chatting and this is awesome. Um, I, I don't know if there are any questions. I haven't seen any questions pop up in the Q and a, but if there are any, you can feel it, go feel free to go ahead and ask. Um, at some point, uh, Shonda, I'm going to ask you to come back to our congregation and uh, preach or do something with us. Cause I think this is um, uh, too, too, too good of an opportunity. It was glorious. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just a, it's, it's just a lovely place. So also uh, the tacos were excellent. The tacos were excellent. When we did a, another event after that and we're like, we're getting the same tacos. Like it was, <laughs> I hope, you know, that's the hard part. Like, I hope that, you know, like, I don't know what those folks are doing now. I, I, I just, as you brought them up, I'm like, those are those kind of organizations. It was a family run thing. Yep. You know, I don't know what they're, I got to figure out if they're, what they're doing, but yes, yeah. the tacos, that's really, you know, this is a good humbling experience. Cause whenever anybody ever talks about that installation, everybody just basically goes to the tacos. That's really anything anybody remembers is like, Oh yeah, Theater I was there. How we can unify people. Now that's we right. know. That's right. They're like, I was there. Tacos were awesome. Like, yeah. And the service was cool, I guess. Whatever. Okay. I want it noted. I led with the community and the worship. That's true. And then went secondary. to tacos. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. As we end our time, uh, any questions for me that have come up? I, I don't yes. know. They don't have to be. But Absolutely. Okay, if we've got a couple of minutes. Yep. You know, I've been really, really inspired by your willingness to speak out of this weird third space that we as Asian Americans inhabit around racial justice. Uh, and I was such a fan of, uh, but I don't think of you as Asian, your uh, book that had come out about 10 years ago now, eight uh, years no. ago, uh, that that was why I reached out to you to be like, hey, you've already done this book. How do I do something different? Um, and you... So you have been on this journey for a long time. I wonder what has shifted for you mm. since writing that book in your understanding of um, yeah. justice and the faith community. I wish I could rewrite that book. Oh, don't we all? Any of us who have written about race? Yeah. Oh, man. it's it. So I don't want to take away from myself, and this is not trying to be self-deprecating, but, but it is it is fairly weak now in comparison to the stuff that's coming out now. I mean, there is stuff coming out now that I'm like, oh, that's the book I wanted to write. Right. That's the one. And 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 again, I I, I think there's helpful things in it, all that. Yeah. And it was my first one doing the process. Like I wish that wasn't my first book, like because I just think that when you go through it multiple times, you get better at understanding sure. how you write and what you do so like yeah. it's not it's it's not even that and i say this it's not even that as good as i really feel like it could have been even at that time and i wish so i've learned so there's multiple layers of this one is just the process of of writing and getting your thoughts down that is i hope matured and will be better each time uh, but i i do think i um 
I think it's it, we are in a day now where folks can take um, language and challenge more so than they could then, or I was willing to admit they could then. This was never going to be a none of the books on race are for folks who think racism doesn't exist. I mean, they're not right. going to pick that up. Right. Uh, now, some have said it's been a great starter book for people who are just on the edge because it doesn't feel overly, as as folks might feel today, it doesn't feel like an angry book or it's not right. that kind of thing. So, and that I could see some benefit of that as long as you move to the next stuff that's a little deeper and thinks a little more critically. I mean, mine, it was really a very surface light kind of go across these things and really look at microaggressions in a way that help us shift the way we behave with each other. So I think that is, is consistent. I just wish I would have been, I wish I would, I dived a little bit deeper and I, I'm not sure I had at that point, the sociological chops to do it uh, that I think I might have now and language has changed and my, and our communities have changed and we've, different voices are now involved and, you know, and, and I'm not the lead anymore on so much stuff that it feels better that I'm, I'm, I hope I'm more teachable now than I was then. And, and I occupy a space that I'm, I hope I'm preparing space for who's coming in that kind of phase of my career and life. Uh, so I would have written it differently. If I were to write a race book now, it would be different. It wouldn't, I'm not an academic and I'm not James Cohn. I'm not those kind of people, but it would be different. I think it would be deeper. It would have more texture. I think it would probably be for leader types who are trying to think, how do we navigate this space with integrity? Um, so, yeah, there you go. So I feel like- All right, we don't have- Go ahead. The answer to that question ended up being- Bruce can't take a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. I, for us all to learn. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, and as I talk with pastors, I work with them. So like, I'd rather people lean that way than to read a compliment to anything, everybody, anything and it says to them. Yes. <laughs> oh, they love me. I'm like, I'm not sure that's what I heard, but okay. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to run out of time if I don't get to my last few questions for you. So what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to these days? All right. What I'm reading is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Uh, the subtitle is An Asian American Reckoning. Uh, mm-hmm. In this moment where uh, people are wrestling with questions of race, often Asian Americans get left out of that conversation. People assume they know about us. They assume they know our experience. They assume that we're doing just fine. And Kathy Park Hong helps me feel seen, but not necessarily always in the good way. Uh, so yeah. that's, um, it's yeah. a powerful, brilliantly written book. Uh, so that's what I'm reading. Okay. What are you, what are you watching and what are you listening to? I am watching, gosh, this is, too on brand and i apologize but i just binge watched a tv series on hulu called woke uh it's about and by my favorite cartoon artist uh comic book artist keith uh knight and he and it's a great show it's a great tv show about a guy in san francisco who's trying not to be too black uh and then has an an experience a confronting experience that helps him realize he needs to own the black experience uh and call out white supremacy it's great 
All right. And what and 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 what are you listening to? My theme song right now is the song uh Liberated or People Get Liberated by I don't know if she pronounces it Dej Loaf or D-E-J Loaf. No idea. Uh, but it is the song that I like use as my dance break every time I get the chance. It's fabulous. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so thrilled to, uh, to have sat down with you today. So thank you all for joining us. Remember, you can watch or listen to previous webinars uh, and register for upcoming ones by just visiting our website, fpresspa.org. Remember, we only have one more before the end of the year, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, in the meantime, you can connect with Shonda at uh, shondajaw.com. Uh, you can you can you can find them easily there. And on Twitter, it is Pastor Shonda, and on Instagram, it's Shonda in Oakland. So uh, we'll, you can connect in all those places. You can always connect with me on all the social media platforms at at B Reyes Chow. Please be sure to follow and uh, connect to First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FPC Palo Alto, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto. Thanks to Derek for helping out. We have one more, Derek. Thank you for being here, for helping on the, web, on the webinars. And thank you, Shonda, for sitting down with me today. I hear rumors that uh, Derek is going to be carrying the Liberating Love devotional. So y'all should buy it there. That's right. Make sure you Thanks. get to Reach and Teach. Well, Shonda's so books will be there. Fits right into Reach and Teach. Um, again, thanks for joining us. Next week, we have our final uh, webinar of the year. And I'm really excited. We're, uh, Katie Kazi is going to be uh, on. And Katie was a, a candidate for Palo Alto School Board, is from uh, Palo Alto, and uh, has a really kind of a cool story about how she's moving into public, uh, into public service. And so we're going to sit down. And, and just for you all know, I don't think that race has actually been called yet. So uh, Katie has been sitting in fourth place, just under the third spot. So uh, who knows what's going to happen by the time we talk with Katie on, on Wednesday. So I hope you all can join us for that. Uh, until then, thank you for being here. And again, thank you, Shonda, for thank hanging out so with much. us today. All right. Take care, all. All around the world, poverty is stealing choices from kids. It's time to give those choices back. Introducing Chosen, World Vision's new invitation to sponsorship. For the first time, kids have the power to choose their own sponsors. Now the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Learn more at worldvision.org chosen. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.